Hello, and welcome to Game on Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today's episode is titled Fantasy in Her Reality, and we speak with artist and author Lynn Hogan. And we'll share your responses to this week's Twitter and Facebook question. What is the most visually stunning game you've ever played? So stay tuned, and we're so glad you're listening to Game on Girl. the honor of talking to author and artist Lynn Hogan. Lynn works as a game artist by day and a comic artist by night. She's done work for Marvel and Bella Sara, as well as merchandise design. And I'll have links on the website to her portfolio so you can check out some of her works because she's designed some of uh, my favorite game uh, graphics. We'll talk about that during the show, I'm sure. She's a graduate of the Ringling School of Art and Design and is a native from Florida. I don't know how to say Flor- Floridian, Flor- Floridian, Floridian, Floridian. <laughs> That's my West Coast bias right there. So, thanks so much for coming and being on the show today, Lynn. Sure. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. So why don't you start us off with a little bit about your, your background and your gaming history? Well, I've been a gamer, I guess, since I was just a little, little girl, um, uh, way before I actually got a Nintendo. Some of our friends had Nintendo, and we would go play in arcades, and uh, my brother and I would beg our moms for quarters to the laundromat to play Mario Brothers, and um, from there, I've been mostly a console kid. Um, I played a little bit of WoW when it first came out, but mostly just love old school games like old NES, Super NES. I think Super Metroid is probably one of my favorite games of all time. And play now a whole lot of RPGs. I'm actually working through all the Mass Effects right now and um, have really gotten sort of a social game habit, having started working in social games. <laughs> well, I can join you on that social game habit I have. <laughs> I have research. Now it's just research. <laughs> oh, I've used that line. Oh, I, that's the beautiful thing about doing a dissertation on, in game studies. You know, I, I have to play this. It's, it's my job. It's my research. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, though, I really think it is important for people working in games to play new games as they come out and see what's coming out and see what's absolutely what, what new cool things and new cool art styles are coming out. Yeah, I think that's that's very important as well. And I, I do. Well, we can get into that more. But I was wondering, you knew that if a lot of people that you worked with were also gamers, did they game too? Oh, yes. I don't think there has been anyone at any of the game companies I've worked at, at least in the creative roles, that is not a gamer in some way. And plenty of people uh, are, are far more hardcore and more dedicated than I am. Um, one of our one of the community managers at PopCap is a hardcore Battlefield 3 fan and is pretty awesome at it. And I am terrible at first-person shooters. I mean, really, really terrible. I can I can I can't play shooters at all on consoles. I can I can play them on PCs. I can get the controls on PCs, but I can't console game shooters at all. It's it's actually ridiculous to watch me try. I I just have this weird disconnect when it comes to first person and 3D. Like I I got all the way through Metroid Prime because I really really love the Metroid series, but um first person is is gets me a little uh motion sick. Mhm. <laughs> so first person shooters usually I'm, I'm not too great. Yeah, I can I can empathize wholeheartedly. Tell us a little bit about uh, your writing and art background, how you got started and and 
what what drove you to that? Um, I think just the same way I've been playing games all my life. I've been drawing all my life. When I was younger, especially, I would write and draw, and then drawing seemed a, a more natural fit and something I was pretty good at. And um, I started working professionally at 17 for a t-shirt company in my hometown and sort of snowballed, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay, now I know how to do t-shirts. Now I can do more t-shirts. Now I can do some merchandise. And slowly, all those little skill sets and jobs have sort of catamoriballed up into what I am doing now, which is some uh, mobile iOS art uh, for mm-hmm. a startup company. And um, I just had my first graphic novel come out in March through Soap Press. Oh, congratulations. That's very exciting. Thank you. It's, it's just been a cool, weird journey where it just seems like as soon as it's time to take the next step, the next step appears. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how would you go about defining a gamer? I think a gamer is pretty much anyone that plays games, whether those are console games or PC games or board games or card games. I I think it's sort of what helps keep people young, like Mm -hmm. just just taking the time to imagine and have some creative problem solving time. Nice. Awesome. But I mean, it's funny, we ask that question to everybody. And even though the answer is is pretty common in that, you know, pretty much anybody that plays any types of games, I love the way you described it as a problem solving and creative process, because that's kind of the way I see it. And I think people don't realize how much of an outlet it is. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much playing those games as a child, I really think really helps with like understanding spatial difference. And um, Mm, honestly, role-playing games probably help me with my budget more than anything else in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I spend all my money on this big sword. I won't have enough for health potions really has taught me some life lessons later on. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And what a great way to, to truly practice in a safer environment where you know, you're not going to kick kicked out if you do buy the sword and you don't have the potions that you need, you <laughs> know, true. but if you can't pay your rent and, and you have, you know, all the new games you wanted, that's, you know, that, that's a, got a little bit more consequence to it. So <laughs> that, that is very true. And I've, I've hit a weird point in my life where, especially as a kid and saving that, you know, 60, $70 for a game was a huge amount in kid money. And, you know, you get mm-hmm. one or two new games a year. Right. And now I'm at a place where I can go buy a game when it comes out. And now I just don't have the time to play. And I, I have a game that shrink wrapped on uh, right by my Xbox. And I can just imagine my 12 year old self like, you haven't opened a video game yet. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you, you don't have any idea. The desire is there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. There's so many other things that have to get done first. Oh, I, I understand. I actually have a, a friend and listener who is constantly uh, keeping me honest about my gaming and uh, calling me up when I have been absent for a couple of days and been like, Regina, when are you going to game? When are you going to game? And I'm like, oh, I have so much work to do. <laughs> it's nice to have a friend like that. <laughs> it is useful and he keeps me in line and keeps me going back. So it's it's good because I'm like, OK, yeah, I got to do it. I got to get a few hours in. <laughs> awesome yeah yeah well you know <laughs> i can't lose my cred i can't i can't lose my gamer cred <laughs> you know, and I, I found myself at a couple places where people were mentioning new games they had seen over the past couple of years and i'm like oh that's come out that's already out i'm like oh i need to i need to get current 
So you do play um, like role playing games. You play shooters mostly, maybe. I was trying to get kind oh, of no. a beat there. The mostly no, role playing games. I'm terrible at first person okay. shooters. Um, most of what I play is RPGs and platformers. Okay. So tell us about um, sort of going about creating an avatar in one of those in one of those games. Well, it may depend whether you have an avatar to play or not. Um, one of the RPGs I've been playing recently that I've just really, really loved is this uh, Atlas game called Radiant Historia for the DS. And the writing is better in it than RPGs I've seen in a long, long time. So I can just sort of get into that story and you know, learn to identify with the main character and, and go along with that. Whereas if I'm playing a social game... I'll probably make a character that usually looks pretty much like me. Like I, I, especially in social games where I'm playing with friends and they have avatars that look like them. Like I have a couple of friends that have made, you know, really crazy characters for theirs, but for the most part, you know, that's sort of like, Oh, okay. Well, this is my friend, you know, with the red hair and his little avatar has red hair. And right. You know, right. You make connections. Yeah. Between, between the, the real life and the, and the avatar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that what you did in Mass Effect? Did you you create the avatar uh, based on on you? Um, you know, for Mass Effect, as they were asking, you know, your character has this sort of background and has come from that. That doesn't really sound like me. So I started thinking of, okay, who is this character? I, I named her Sarah. I'm like, what does what has Sarah Shepard been through? And try to make something really interesting for that, um, because that's 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 not my story. That's her story, and I, I want to see where that goes. So if you've got a choice between creating a, an original, unique character outside of yourself or creating the avatar like yourself, which would you choose? With with social games where it's mostly focused on interaction mm. with my real life friends, it's something more like myself with something right. like a WoW or Mass Effect or... Um, you know, uh, Dragon Age, it's, it's going to be something more where I want an interesting story and an interesting character and... I, I really like sort of being able to step outside myself for a little bit and, and play as this other person. So how do you start that process of creating uh, somebody else? Well, with, with Mass Effect, they, they have a couple early questions like, is your character a colonist? Is your character um, from one of the planets, I believe? It's like, has your, your character has survived this or they're a war veteran? So as I'm reading through those different options, I decided like, okay, she's a colonist. And she is a survivor. She's been through something awful. And as, as as those major events in her life start to line up, you sort of whatever whatever personality she had to make it through that sort of gives me hints about what that person personality was before the trauma. And then the trauma has sort of shaped her. And then as I've gone through the game and these these you know moral questions have come up, I sort of pick like she's been through some things, but she's ultimately a good person. But, you know, sometimes she really wants to help someone out and sometimes she's not going to be entirely diplomatic. She's just going to like shoot the person that, um, Oh, I'm in Novaria right now. I'm in mass effect one. I'm way behind. Um, <laughs> we, I ran into someone that was some, some guards that were crooked cops and, and looting and it was just time to shoot. So I was like, you know, what? not, not going to go through this whole dialogue tree. We're just going to shoot now. It's fine. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, Ron is a big fan of Mass Effect, so so you're yeah. you're talking to someone who who's very uh, intimately <laughs> aware of uh, the storylines and the characters you're dealing with. It's um it's all very new to me. Like I I really didn't start playing Western RPGs until Dragon Age. Um, they were always usually PC games, and so I, I played on Super NES and PlayStation. So 
I have I have played Final Fantasy all the way through. Probably I don't know if I'm going to pick them up anymore, but um, I, I have a lot of love for JRPGs in my heart. Yeah, that seems to be an interesting. I haven't played any Final Fantasy. I don't I don't know the genre very well, and. <laughs> And and it's so massive. It's one of those things that's like it's almost impossible to try to, try to jump into now. <laughs> you know, they they did do a pretty good job um, adapting a couple of their their earlier games, Final Fantasy three and four to DS. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really fun for plane trips, car trips, something in between. Hmm. Oh, interesting. That's that's an interesting thing. I might have to check that out. I have to I have to out you a little bit, Lynn. I have to ask. <laughs> what are some of the social games that you play that you that you end up playing with your friends? Oh gosh. Um just because so, I'm curious. <laughs> it, it was really awesome to work at PopCap because I think I probably would have gotten in trouble at other game companies for playing PopCap games. I, I really love Bejeweled Blitz. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love Zuma Blitz. Um, I really got into Baking Life for a while. Um, I didn't think I would get into Baking Life, but I did. Um, uh, that really became bad. I was like, okay, I gotta get out of this meeting. I gotta make sure I pull my like tarts out of the oven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I um I I really like uh, Bubble Witch Saga. Bubble Witch Saga has been pretty fun. Um, Triple Town is ridiculously addictive, and lately I've been playing Ruby Blast, and that's been pretty fun too. Nice. That's a that's a pretty solid collection of social games. <laughs> <laughs> covering a lot of uh of different uh, skill sets as well so yeah I, I played the sims for a while i'm i'm really not a huge rts fan or um i'm gonna come in and click on some things and then leave um so i really like the more arcade style games those are really fun for me right yeah i i have a well i have a i have a tendency to play bejeweled blitz myself so <laughs> <laughs> Usually multiple times a day for longer than I care. <laughs> <laughs> just one more level. Yeah. Just one more time. It's just one minute. I mean, just yeah. one minute. That's fine. <laughs> I know. I know, but I read statistics. Trap. I actually cited in the dissertation how um, somewhere on, on an article that I had read, they had said that um, the average playtime for Bejeweled Blitz was 45 minutes. People. Oh yeah, wow! About right. Yeah, people will play Bejeweled Blitz, a one-minute game for forty-five minutes. Uh, I've, you know, I've had bouts where I've done. I don't think I've gone quite forty-five, but I've gone half an hour here or there. You know, where I just get, you just kind of get caught up in it. And I, I have a, t- I have a tendency toward mastery in our gamer types, and Bejeweled Blitz is one of my like mastery hotspots. <laughs> Do you have to be top of your leaderboard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, see, early in, I was blessed with adding a bunch of PopCat folks to my Facebook, which meant they're all on the leaderboard, including some some of our QA folks, and then just some of the people who, I believe, enter the Matrix when they play Bejeweled Blitz. So <laughs> when they're getting, like, you know, 600 to 900K scores, yeah. I have just, like, I knew that I would never see number one again and just sort of became, like, at peace with it. It's like, well... <laughs> I'm I'm in I'm in the top fifteen this this week. I feel okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I I I think my top scores tend to be between seven and eight. 
100,000. Wow. And it was funny. I just got my mom, who's 78. I got her Bejeweled 3 for her PC, and she was playing. And I know Blitz and, and, the, and the Bejeweled 3 versions are different, but she was like, oh, I got like 250,000 points on one of the games I was playing. What's the best you've ever done? <laughs> I was like, oh, mom, I love you. Oh. <laughs> but no. <laughs> It's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got a chance. I think uh, Regina showed you what the gamer type IDs are that she um, came up with during her dissertation. Did you identify with any of those? Um, you know, I, I identify a little bit with all of them because there's something mm -hmm. not the completest and the competitor in me for the mastery player. And and like I said, with social games, I see more of the the self-identified player. Usually when I am playing, I am playing as a role player, though. Like, I, I really like to get into my games and really sort of experience that, like, not just, okay, I'm sitting on, you know, my couch in my living room, but really feel like, okay, I'm on the Normandy and, and have a lot of things to fix. What am I going to do today? You want to be in the story? Well, I mean, it depends on the game. Something, something like Mass Effect has a great story. Something like, you know, Rayman. I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun to play with my friends. You know, I'm... Right. There's not a, a, a huge world to jump into there, but it is a beautiful world, and uh, I do have a lot of fun playing it. But that, that one, I think, is is probably more of a mastery thing. Like, if it's if it's more of a, um, you know, here's a, here's a game where we're trying to get a high score. Here's a game, you know, that's not too deep on the story aspect, more on the gameplay aspect. I sort of lean more towards mastery. But uh, most of my games are RPGs, so mostly role-playing. Cool. Cool. And so... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, that's all right. Oh, I was going to say, you named your um, your femship Sarah Shepard. Did you go about the process of, like, making a backstory for her or give her, like, like characteristics? You said, you know, okay, at this point, you know, I'm done with this dialogue and let's just shoot. So that was sort of her character that you were acting out? I didn't go through, you know, I haven't have not written a, a deep story for her, but they give you a couple tent poles to hang on that, you know, she, she had been through a really bad uh, invasion on her colony and she was a survivor. So she's got like a big scar down her face because I feel like she wouldn't have gotten out of that without some something. Mm. And as I'm playing through the game, you know, she's got compassion for people that have been through things like that, but also doesn't take a lot of crap because she had to get through a, a tough situation. So as right. I played the game and, try to get in her mindset, like more of that character comes through. Nice. Nice. And so, so it kind of evolves from like the, the glimpse you have at the beginning and evolves as you're playing the game. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. I think that's, I think that's pretty similar from the other stories that we've heard from role players. Although we, we've had some role players that have very extensive um, backstories and histories where they, you know, write out, pages worth of this is what happened and this is where this person comes from and all of those sort of different choices. So it's an interesting, and like I said, it was one of the things I wasn't really expecting when I did the research. So I think if I made like a D and D character and I'm actually, you know, inventing the story along with friends, I'd probably try to think about it more. And, mm -hmm. um, as, as I write my, my comic series, that's definitely come into play of like figuring out what happened to these characters as children and, you know, what they've been through in their lives. So I, I think I, I have some inclination towards that, but especially for games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age that are, you know, set up for you mostly to experience in the moment of, of playing it, I, I just sort of skim over that point. <laughs> right, right. And then go with the flow of what's what sort of presented to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Well, the 
the some of the things uh, I very very much enjoyed looking at your portfolio and your resume, and uh, we want to tell the listeners a little bit about what you've got out there because it's just it's beautiful beautiful work. Um, really? and well, I love the oh what. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is where I, I have to gush here, too, because at the panel at Geek Girl Con, when you said you did the Phoenix on the Phoenix Stone for the Bejeweled Blitz, I was like, oh, my God, that's like my favorite drawing in that <laughs> whole game. And I'm going to make sure to, to put that up with a post because <laughs> I just love it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I learned a lot at Dragon Con this year because we had we had the luck of having several developers and game game developer or game company panels and they had a variety of specialties on the panels and i learned so much about how many people and how many different types of skills it takes to get a game out and so i learned a little terminology i wasn't used to even lo- looking down through your resume you've filled a lot of those different characters, um, uh, those different roles, but there was a few in particular I wanted to ask you about because a guy mentioned it at DragonCon. Tell me what particle illustration is. Particles are really illustration. Usually you're using a, a particle program. Um, I know Regina, Regina plays Vigil Bliss. I don't know if you've played it on, uh, have you played the iOS version? Yes, yep. Okay, so you know when um, oh, when your leaderboard comes up and those little sparkles go across. Yes. Okay, so that's particles. That's 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 how okay. Works. Um, and I'll go into a program called Particle Illusion, and there's a bunch of different nodes I can interact with to say like, what shape should those particles be? What color? What size? How long do they sparkle? Do they move? So that's um that's a lot of particle effects and um. My my experience with particle effects has mostly been abstract shapes, but I mean I've I've seen some where it's like let's figure out how this dust storm is going to go, let's figure out how this lightning will strike. I mean you can do some really really cool special effects with particles. So compared to the some of the more elaborate concept work you've got in your portfolio, does something like particle effects does that get boring for you? No, because it's 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 really a different skill set. It you know, it, it can't be super elaborate because you're, you know, emitting hundreds or thousands of these little particles. You're mostly going for, um, and this is this is something that's been a, a struggle as a game artist versus an illustrator. Because I've also done like illustration where you're going for the most dynamic and compelling illustration. In yeah. game art, you need something that feels really good in the game universe, something that doesn't distract the player from the game, something that just makes the game experience better. And that might not always be the most dynamic illustration. You like. For my backgrounds from Bejeweled Blitz, there's just huge chunks when I pull the game board off where it's it's pretty knocked back and doesn't have a lot of detail because we really wanted our players to focus on seeing the board behind or see, see the jewels on the board, not worry about the illustration behind the jewels on the board. Right. 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 Not have it be distracting, but still have it be attractive. Yeah. Right. And and particles, same thing. They need to be fun and impressive, but not be totally distracting on the screen and it's fun. I don't know if I would want to do it nonstop for my job full time, but when yeah. it's, you know, little little you know month or two blocks of it, that was that was always fun and um, always got to try things I didn't know how to do before I got into it. So that was that was pretty fun. Yeah, there cool. were a couple of 
specialties I heard. Uh, someone, a guy told me he did particle illustration. They also mentioned um, prop design, which I never imagined that you would, you know, you, you know, you have a prop guy on the set of a TV show or something, but I never would have imagined you'd have a prop guy for a computer game. But the other thing that I didn't think about either is a UI design. And oh, yeah. I saw you mention that in uh, your resume. And I was curious about uh, your work in that area. UI design, especially with the social and mobile games, is a huge, huge job opportunity market. I, I enjoy it. Um, there are far more talented UI designers than I, um, and PopCap has quite a few really, really awesome ones. And they're responsible for most of the UI that is um, in the mobile version of the game. But one of the pieces of UI that I did, and um, when I came on, I was one of the only artists on Bejeweled Blitz, was um, doing the Choose Your Boost screen. And that I worked with a bunch of designers. You know, we figured out how we're going to put the boosts up, how we need to show that you have a full boost, you only have two boosts of three left, you don't have a boost equipped, right. you sold a boost, you can't buy this boost, you don't have enough money. Like you have to convey <laughs> a lot of information to the player right. in exactly. a way that's like not unobtrusive or not, you know, obtrusive and also easy to understand. And that's very, very difficult. <laughs> yeah. And and entirely almost entirely visually based. You can just look and, and you guys did a great job, I know, because I use those all the time. So <laughs> You can look right at, you can skim over that and see exactly what you have equipped and how many more, you know, turns you have with whatever you have selected, et cetera. So I had never really thought that somebody actually had to think about that. <laughs> Several people thought about that for a very long time. <laughs> wow. There were many, many revisions on that UI. Um, but I, I think what we have works pretty well. And I know when we broke the boost bar, because very, very early, and we just had boosts above the top of the screen, but when we made it a a whole separate screen, our, our players really like they understood, okay, I have these many boosts left, and mm -hmm. that also gave us a, a chance to pop the rare gem dialogue in there, too, which they like. It's always exciting to see if you're going to get a rare gem. Right, exactly. You never know. Or a streak where you get, you know, reduced prices of them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, see, I told you I'm very familiar with <laughs> Well, it's just, it's very interesting because you, when you get a bad game, especially a bad visually designed game, you notice all this stuff. Mm -hmm, right. But when you get a really well-designed visual game, the UI and the particles and stuff like that are the things that you want the player to not know that they are enjoying. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. You want it to be entirely seamless. You don't even want yeah. to think about it. Yeah. It's funny because uh, as we've been talking about particles, I've been playing in the Firefall beta and there's one section because it's the beta, right? So it's not finished by any stretch of the imagination. And there's one section where I was walking through with some friends and the stars were like in the sky in front of me. <laughs> Oh, and I said to my friends online, I'm like, does everybody else see the stars? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's just, you know, programming that hasn't been quite fixed yet. But it's yeah, that the the particles are it, it looks like it looks more like particles than it does like stars. Like it's clear that it's supposed to be stars because they're like twinkling. But you literally walk like through a patch of forest and right at like tree level are a bunch of stars. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> 
I'm sure they'll they'll fix that before finally. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. But it was just one of those moments where I was like, oh, oh yeah, this definitely is a beta. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only other thing I wanted to ask you specifically about that I noticed was you had on there about, I know how to do preparation for uh, a project pitch or an art design documentation. Mm-hmm. And I remember once, I I, pit, I did a pitch to an editor for a book, and I kept hearing from all the other peers that I had who were already published authors that it's like, yeah, pitching a book or submitting a pitch is the absolute most hardest thing in the world. After If it's ever accepted, you're just thankful that you can finally get down to writing the book. <laughs> And I, I, my guess is it's probably the same for the gaming pitch or the art design. It honestly depends on the type of document you're making. Like if, if you're doing a pitch for a feature, like when I would write pitch docs for features or games, I wanted to make it pop cap. I was talking to a bunch of creative folks that sort of understood what temp art looked like, understood like the general idea for a game, even if I, I just had like mocked something up out of our existing game. Whereas um, at the company I was at in Florida, InSpace, um, I got to work on a couple pitch docs for games where the developer was actually taking that idea to publishers. So I was working with designers and I was working with producers and they were, you know, we were trying to figure out what the most exciting illustrations would be to, um, sort of prove our point of how cool this game could be because some of those publishers you know they'll read through and can sort of imagine what we're what we're thinking through writing but it's that illustration that would really help sell like oh yeah that would be a fun game i would love to play that yeah i think the the visuals it it ends up making such an impact like Rhonda said when you're when you're when it works you you don't notice so (laughs) yeah um And, and I imagine the same would be for a pitch if if you have that concept idea and someone can glance at it and go, oh, yeah, I can see how this would be engaging and interesting. I would think that that would be pretty powerful. And and it, it does help a lot. Like I um, when I went to talk with my my comic book publishers, you know, I brought an outline for the stories and an outline of what I had so far. But I also just brought some of the comic pages I'd already finished because I'd started publishing it online. Mm. And just getting to see that world and see some of those illustrations from books to come, they're like, oh, okay, this is cool. We like this a lot. Right. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners that they're listening to Game on Girl and that we're talking to artist and author Lynn Hogan. So, Lynn, tell us, what do you think are the best and worst aspects about working in the game industry as an artist or in just in general? Well, it's definitely, it's definitely a place where I, I have loved games for so long. I, I really get joy out of getting to make those games. And I've seen friends playing Bejeweled Blitz or Zuma Blitz. And, and not just because I worked on those games, but because they love those games a lot. Right. To the point they are upset that I could not get them extra coins. <laughs> like, give me coins. I'm like, I can't. I'm sorry. Um, oh, so um, that was um, that was really cool. Just just getting to be a part of that process, and and a lot of the folks in games are just some of the best creative folks I've ever met. Like they're they're happy people and they're they're talented creative people and and you get a really good uh, gel when you're working with a good team like that 
you also get to draw a lot of crazy fun stuff like phoenix prism like i, I got to spend uh, a fair amount of time drawing this beautiful elaborate phoenix and tiny adorable baby baby phoenix and when blazing steve came out i was like oh i i want to animate these i wanted i actually have an animation table at home and got to old school 2d style draw a bunch of uh, illustrations of a whole on fire running which was you know really fun and that's awesome and things like UI and the particle effects really make you stretch your skill set and learn new things. Um, I love that. That's, that's, I don't know. There's a lot of games I, I just really love. It's, it's a very happy place for me. <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice to be able to work in your happy place too. Mm-hmm. It is. I, I mean, there's days I'll just put on my headphones and go like, that's my whole day is like come in say hi to my friends and just put on my headphones and go. That's really cool. That was one of the reasons why when I decided what I was going to study for the dissertation, because someone early on had warned me, make sure you're very engaged with what you research. (laughs) (laughs) Because you don't want to get tired of it halfway through. And, uh, and that was when I was like, okay, well, let's do this then. (laughs) Well, have you run into anything, Lynn, that any problems with being a female in the industry? You know, and, and I think we talked about this on the panel, I really have not hit a lot of that. I really have not, um, especially with art. So much of you know your skill set and how you fit a job is based on your portfolio. And um, before they ever meet me, usually the the people have seen my portfolio and seen my work and decided whether I'm a artist that fits their needs or not based on that portfolio, regardless of my gender or my height or my skin color or any of that. So. I think gamers, honestly, like there's there's a couple of jerks on Xbox Live. There's always going to be jerks on Xbox Live. But <laughs> when, when yeah. you actually get into the people developing games, you get people that really love what they do, that want to be around other people that really love what they do, and they want to make cool things. And, and they're usually not too biased about what gender you have or how long your hair is or whether you have tattoos or any of that. Good. That's yeah. good news. <laughs> that is really good news. That is really great news to hear because it's one of those. I mean, everybody, I, I, I don't know anyone that hasn't at least faced at some point in time in a, in a career where they're, they're being judged against something that is unfair or unjust. And to hear that you can stand on your work. And I remember when, when you guys were talking about that on the panel, and it was one of the things that made my admiration for the industry grow because that's what it should be. Everybody should be based on the work that they're doing. Their judgment should be based on the work that they're doing. And so I'm glad to hear that that's your feeling about it. It, it is. And, and there's been definitely times more at, at bigger events where um, I think people judged me before they actually knew what I did or, or what company I was with, or, you know, uh, sometimes they would ask if I was in marketing <laughs> and that's and, and there are a lot of women in marketing, but there's a lot of women in game art too. Yeah. So like yeah. That's well. And they also not to diss anyone in marketing. I mean, that's an amazing and, and pretty pretty challenging job. Yeah, I, I I think it's all all aspects of pretty much production. I think end up having their challenges. It's just what you're more comfortable. <laughs> what what hills you're more comfortable traversing what 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 comes naturally to you to to fight over so oh definitely when you apply for a an artist job because you're currently not at PopCap anymore no. um, <laughs> do, do you do you apply as a concept artist or do you it do you just search the company and see what type of art positions are open uh, well, as I was actually affected in the layoffs a couple weeks ago from PopCap, and this has been 
a different experience for me than uh, any other time I've transitioned into new jobs. Usually it's been something where um, I've, I've sort of realized I'm in a place where I, I want to grow my career and then I'll sort of reach out. The games industry is amazingly tiny and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's pretty awesome because I will find folks that I enjoyed working with that have uh, later on said, hey, I'm working on this project. Does this sound cool? And that's, that's sort of some of what's going on right now is uh, I'm, I'm looking for things that have 2D art, UI art, concept art, a little bit of 2D animation. But mostly I'm just reaching out to friends that I've worked with before or other artists I've known for years and said like, hey, how is, you know, how is it over at this company? Do you like it there? Is there a place? Or having folks reach out and be like, hey, you're no longer under a non-compete from Hubcap and we wanted you to work on this project for a while. Would you like to work on this project? So I, I think at this point in my career, they're, they're just sort of looking at the stuff I've done and seeing if I would like to do more stuff like that or stuff sort of similar to that, which is pretty cool. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And it might give you a chance too, to, um, to grow or to stretch your, your skills and your abilities as well as you're talking about, you know, doing different types of design, but getting into a chance to do a different, a different company or a different style of game as well. Oh, oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm honestly enjoying having a little bit of this last bit of summer vacation. And it's also giving me time to get, um, not only I actually, before I picked up the call with you guys, I've been updating, um, my, my comic site and getting all the color pages ready to go throughout the year because I have to start work on book two soon and have now found my schedule for that significantly opened up. So I'm probably going to take the time to do a little bit of pre-production nice. and devote full, full attention to it before I go into full production again. That's fantastic. See, see everything, everything has a good, <laughs> everything that happens has a, has a good outcome. <laughs> You know, that is honestly how I have, I have, since getting out of school, really, really had that happen. Mm-hmm. Like, there's been things and setbacks in my life where I'm like, oh, oh, this is a terrible thing that ends up to be a much better thing later on. Right, exactly. I've, I've gone through that in the last couple, well, last month and a half myself, where I was like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore, so I'm going to say no now. <laughs> and start focusing in on what I really want to do instead of doing what I feel like I need to or have to do out of fear or that kind of idea as opposed to what I want to do and sort of drive forward on the things I want to prioritize. And that's been really liberating for me. So I can understand how that would work. Oh, oh, I'm totally with you on that too. Like I'm excited about some opportunities and there's some, some jobs, like things that are just entirely UI and UX that I enjoy doing some UI and and UX is the user experience of like the wireframing of how they'll actually flow through a game. Mm. I enjoy doing that as part of my job, but do not want that to be a hundred percent of my job. So already I know that like, I'd much rather find a job where I can be really happy at and really throw a hundred percent in than, Oh gosh, I need the next thing right now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that makes a big difference <laughs> in how you make your decisions. <laughs> you mentioned your um, graphic novel and that you're getting ready to work on book two. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that project and any other projects that you're working on that you might want our listeners to check out? The other project I'm working on right now is unfortunately unannounced. So I can't talk about that other than I am working on a mobile game at the moment in 2D and 
My my graphic novel is called Pridwin or Pridwin, P R Y D W E N, and it's come out through Supple Press. Um, it's oh. also available online at deadbeatgods.com. It's been this fantasy story that I've been developing for years. It's um, a world where there's gods, but they're not very good at their jobs, and their mortals are having to deal with some of the fallout from that. It's sort of a love song to all those. It looks like an 80s cartoon from another dimension. I have an amazing colorist, uh, Tracy Bailey, who um, just really makes it look like animation from some alternate dimension. But it's it's something sort of in the vein of Labyrinth and Dark Crystal of this high fantasy, strange world of like angry fighting unicorns riding giant terror birds and, and stuff like that. Awesome. <laughs> right on. <laughs> It just makes you want to see it. Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> That's a perfect description. <laughs> Is there a place, a blog or Twitter or anything like that where we can go and, and get updates and check out your uh, progress on these projects? Um, there sure is. Um, well, deadbeatgods.com is the uh, comic website, and it updates Mondays and Fridays twice a week. Oh, um, good. It, it will be at least now. There was uh, I had it updating all the way through August, and then forgot to update more comics. So now it's updating until uh, should be updating all the way through the year by the end of the day. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Um, if you go to lynnhogan.tumblr.com, that's uh, t u m b l r dot com, and it's l y n n h o g a n. Okay. Um, that is uh, my portfolio site I have set up right now. Tumblr's awesome. It's really quick to throw up some new artwork. It's got um, a link to my resume and my portfolio. And um, I also update, uh, update, I can, you can hear my Southern accent coming through. <laughs> That's because you're talking to Rhonda. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, when I go back to Pensacola, I start to twang a lot more. Like as soon as I get around my family, I laugh. That's I okay. I get the Valley Girl. I go home to California and my likes and my like you knows <laughs> and they all start coming out too. So I can feel you. <laughs> Every now and again, I still slip like a y'all out here and, and it just doesn't matter where I'm at and what group of friends, they'll all sort of stop and look for me. <laughs> <laughs> but if y'all would like to check out my Twitter, I also have a Twitter at Nintendo. I'm going to try to be better about updating it. I, I sometimes live stream when I feel like painting and showing off what I can paint or if I'm allowed to show off what I'm painting. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I post like cool links I find, random things about my day, hopefully like, not, you know, not, not too many pictures of I'm about to eat this cool sandwich or anything. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we've all been guilty of that from time. I think we've all, we've all yeah. seen that sandwich and all taken that picture. Yeah, we've all seen that. So we've all had that sandwich and we've all taken that picture. <laughs> I love the live streaming, though. There's a, there are a couple of other artists online that do that. And I just I learn so much from watching the live streaming artists. It's, it's a great idea. I really, we really appreciate it out here. Yeah. I, I really love it because I, I feel very self-conscious if someone physically stands next to me and watches me draw, like if I go draw oh. shop, yeah, but that's horrible. just, just like putting the webcam over my shoulder or just sharing my desktop. That's great. That's, that's just me painting, but, um, usually I'll have friends that come in and I sort of have someone talk, you know, to talk to because, 
like I said, it's usually put on my headphones and go, which means I'm usually sitting in my room with my dogs for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. So it's nice to have other people come stop by and talk for a little bit. Right. Sure. Sure. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Regina, if you got anything else you want to ask Lynn before we have to let her go? <laughs> I know. I, this has been such a great interview. Sometimes it's hard to end them. <laughs> uh, did you have any um, any thoughts or ideas or observations that you wanted to share that we didn't get to touch on, Lynn? Not, not really. I, I, I'll say the same thing. I said at Geek Girl Con, I, I just really, really hope that um, more young women realize that that gave the games industry can be a fantastic career and not just in art but in programming and producing and administration and in all the myriad jobs and i mean dozens and dozens or sometimes hundreds of hundreds of people that it takes to make a game like i'd love to see more young women getting into that well, that's fantastic. I would I would wholeheartedly agree with that and, and yeah. back that. And I'm really glad that you took the time to come and talk with us today and to to continue to spread that message because I think more more young women need to hear it and 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 need to hear that your experiences have been so positive as well. That's really a great affirmation. Yeah. Thanks so much, Lynn. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. <laughs> Welcome. Why do you say? share your feedback from this week's Twitter and Facebook questions. So I asked you guys on, um, on Twitter, what was the most visually stunning game? What's the most visually beautiful game in honor of our, our game graphic artist that we had on the show today, Lynn Hogan. So I figured I'd ask you guys what, what you thought some of the most attractive games were. So what do we have for some feedback, Rhonda? Obviously, the g- gamers are aficionados because the the aspect of the visuals of music of story through all of our podcasts you can tell is in, extremely important, and that gamers notice this mm-hmm. even now when they are putting out eight bit stylized games, retro games. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a very particular style to that that is important, but art is, is finding just no limits really visually in gaming. So um, some of our responses, and I I had never heard of some of these, I don't know about you, but yeah, some um, of these were new for me too. Some that I'm actually kind of excited to go check out now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at full fan of podcasts off of Twitter, they recommended Earthworm Jim, Flashback, Zelda 64, and World of Goo. And I get the impression these are either um, DS games, Nintendo games, and because yeah. I'm not, I know I've heard I've heard of Zelda and Earthworm, but I've not I've not played these games. I don't think I've got the platform. Well, uh, World of Goo is is a PC and a Nintendo game. Uh, you can play it on um, on the Wii, but you can also play it on your PC. And it's a physics game um, where you have little balls of goo that that react different ways, and you have to build bridges with them and and do all kinds of different. Um, 
I want to say acrobatics. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And it is, uh, I've played it on the, on the Nintendo. It's a, you know, a downloadable game that you can get from, you know, the Nintendo store. And like I said, you can download it online as well. And they're actually coming out with, I think, the same designers are coming out with um, another game soon, which I, the name is escaping me. I watched the preview for it a while back. It is a really... It's a really stylized. I was I was I was wondering. That's what I said back to full fan of podcasts. I said, I responded. I wondered if anybody was going to mention World of Goo because it is very unique. It, it's it's um. I don't think shadow box is the the term I'm looking for for the art that's like black like drawings on top of um, colored backgrounds. Uh-huh. It's that, yes. that that style. It's in that that general style. And you're working to figure out what the corporation is that's sort of, you know, wreaking havoc on the on the world. It's it, the, the basic plot line. And, you, you know, you go through levels and you can play it cooperatively on the, the Nintendo. Two people can play it. So you and you can jump in and help each other out and help each other build. And sometimes you need to do that because there's a lot of timing that needs to go on where you're trying to catch um, the gobs of goo off balloons and different different types of things. It's really a gorgeous and a really fun and interesting game. And I don't remember who what the company is that that made it, but the story behind it was two guys in a coffee shop sort of came up with this idea, and then generated <laughs> the game. You know, from you know sitting together in a coffee shop, and I think they I, they might have even done all the programming in the coffee shop as well. Um, I'll find some some links to the history and throw those up with the post for this. Uh, for this episode cool but I, I i'm imagining Rhonda, that you would appreciate it with your your artistic tendencies i think you would probably like it a lot yeah it it sounds like something that i would mm-hmm. just want to check out yep um adrian hunter at meaner geek mentioned star wars galaxy yeah this is a game that a, a very good friend of mine just absolutely loved and i had never seen it and adrian was kind enough to send uh, three screenshots from it Uh, that show, um, uh, you know, an X-Wing fighter and uh, I'm paging through them on my Twitter as I'm talking and some of the ships and just how the the galaxy actually looked and to to down to the point where um, uh, he showed a shot of his uh, guild, which was called Vader's Legion of Valor. Um, showed a, a shot of them on Dantooine. <laughs> oh, nice. So I'll include those with the host as well so you guys can check it out. I had never seen it. I had heard lots of people talk about Galaxies. It had been the, the MMO for Star Star Wars before um, the most recent one and and had run in sort of the early days of, of MMO games. And I had no idea. I always, I always imagined because of the timing of the game that it wouldn't have been particularly attractive. But man, these pictures certainly put that, <laughs> mm. <laughs> that idea to shame. It's just absolutely gorgeous game. So oh, nice. Yeah. And then um, Ab- Abhorsen Cat. Mm-hmm on Twitter mentioned Elder Scrolls and I believe specifically from Morrowind on. Yes, yes, Morrowind and I think that includes uh, Skyrim as well. I had a few people mention Skyrim as well. Uh, Skyrim being, you know, definitely gorgeous. I haven't seen a lot of screenshots of Morrowind and I've never played it, um, but I've heard a little bit about it. So I know those uh, RPGs, I think, tend to have... um, I don't want to say more attractive. There tends to be more of a focus, I think, on the graphics in RPG games. 
Is that a controversial topic? Is that a controversial statement? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's more mechanics going on. When you start talking about RPG games, Mm -hmm. you, you, aren't you releasing just a little bit more control over to the user? Yeah, definitely. Especially in MMORPGs where people go in and have, you know, just a vast landscape to to interact with. You know, like I've I said, there are plenty of people I talk to and plenty of people we've talked to on the show that don't do endgame rating necessarily in their RPG games or in their MMOs, but go in and collect pets or unlock all of the right. achievements, you know, with uh making sure they've gone around all the the areas of the map and they've seen the whole world and different things like that. So definitely seems to be more engagement uh, maybe with the landscape in an RPG than there is in a first person shooter and all you're doing is jumping in and running around to, to kill and slash zombies or whatever else it is you're, you're playing with. Yeah. But something we mentioned before too, though, at, at this point in, the the era of gaming the the art and the graphics really are not not just at their peak but they're almost limitless mm-hmm. the the restraints on graphics are really only within the creator's mind at this point because we every single thing we see come out is just so phenomenal yeah um i think Right now, the challenges are strictly with the hardware, probably. Right, exactly, exactly. And and access to the kinds of um, hardware. You need to see those kinds of graphics or to yeah. engage with those kinds of graphics. And that's going to continue. And that's, that's part of what um, is changing, too, with the new Nintendo platform that's coming out, the, the Nintendo the Wii U, which will have a controller that has a touchpad on the controller. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the new um, console itself has higher, much higher um, resolution than than the old Nintendo had. Well, there was a couple of other suggestions that uh, most of the users might recognize. Uh, Jamie at A Unicorn in Space mentioned Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. And Christina F. Facebook mentioned Bioshock 2, which I I completely agree with because the very first time I ever heard of Bioshock was simply a one-page ad in Wired Magazine, and it was stunning. Yep. And I was, I was like, I've got to know what that game is. So um, <laughs> I need. It, that's it, pretty powerful if it's a single picture that's uh, that's making you think that too. Yeah, and it, it was, it had a new look. I mean, it it the graphics are very very good, but it had a very distinct world, a very distinct theme, and Mass Effect's done the same thing. Okay. They've got a very particular look, and they have stuck to that branding and it's been very smart right right and it and it gives them that consistency so so you know i mean there's no doubt when you step into bioshock i mean (laughs) no just no doubt where you are and what you're doing and what your goal is the same i would be i would say would be true for dead space which i've only played briefly but it has that same sort of um it, it its look is so unique that there there's nothing else that looks quite like it 
Right. Yeah. Right. And that's that's the way I would describe uh, Borderlands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As well. Mm-hmm. Now there were a couple that were new to me. Mm-hmm. Vitamin Amy on Twitter mentioned Eternal Sonata. Mm-hmm. Eric O on Facebook mentioned Eco. Mm-hmm. Now Eco, I think I had actually seen some references to it, but I've never seen any gameplay. Mm. Um, if you had asked me, have you ever played Eco or do you know Eco? I would have said no. But when I followed the links and went out and looked, I was like, yeah, you know, I think I've seen this art before. Mm-hmm. Um, but Eternal Sonata, I have no idea. Yeah, Eternal Sonata, uh, Amy actually sent several screenshots of that as well. And I guess the basic premise of the game is that you are in the mind of Chopin while he's on his deathbed. Which oh, wow. I just think it's a fascinating idea for a game. <laughs> what a concept. To go into, you know, a great musician's mind as as they're sort of reaching the end of his life. That's that's just, just fascinating. And it is absolutely stunning. And it's a Japanese RPG game, so it's got that, you know, the characters have kind of an anime look to them, but the landscapes are just gorgeous and flowers and the details of the characters and the lighting... Oh, wow. it's just absolutely stunning. I'll I'll share but, these screenshots as well. Yeah, and there there are a lot of challenges mm-hmm. with that premise. Mm-hmm. I mean, that 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 was very ambitious kind of title because I mean, you, you're talking a dream sequence basically, mm-hmm. or playing around in someone's brain cells, mm-hmm. but it's a very particular person. Exactly. Who's well known and, and, and understood and, and, you know, recognized. So, yeah, it's like, there are no limits, but there are limits. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's exactly. kind of weird. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the Wikipedia entry about it says it's notable for its use of classical piano pieces which would be to expected given the, t- the topic. Yeah. Educational cutscenes featuring real paintings and photographs and a lush landscape design. So that, that gives nice. you an idea of some of the details that are involved in Internal Sonata. And um, I asked her what platform it, it it's on um, Xbox 360 and PS3. So it might be something that I might just have to go check out. I, ju- I haven't played a lot of uh, you know Japanese RPG games, but it's just so beautiful I find myself compelled. <laughs> yeah. Eco's kind of that way too. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a much older game. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was 2001 when I looked up the um, the stats on it, and it was a PS2 game. But it's very uh, the the look is sort of uh, a watercolor look. Mm-hmm. It's realism, but it has an amazing amount of detail and texture and mood for a game that old. Mm-hmm. And it's it's quite lovely. It's muted tones, sepias. Um, it's about a little character, a little guy named Eco. It's set in a very particular culture and mythology, and it really is quite beautiful. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of different, a lot of different things that I don't, uh, I don't always look at. I don't always think about. Um, Any particular that didn't get mentioned that you would bring up? Uh, a couple people had mentioned uh, World of Warcraft. I, w- I would mention World of Warcraft. And one of the, the things other people had said as well was just the size of um, 
of yeah. just the, the vast nature of an MMO like that. A couple of others that, that sort of got lost in the shuffle here um, that I missed were Michelle W., who's at... Uh, Michelle W32 uh, talked about the opening video and cinematics for Star Wars: The Old Republic. Mm, okay, and that is an an absolutely gorgeous game. Like I've like I've talked about in previous episodes, I had a I had sort of trouble engaging with the game mechanics, which I think is more MMO burnout on my part. But um, <laughs> the, it is a beautiful game, and the cinematics and the time and energy they put into the cinematics in that that game are just outstanding. Um, a couple of other people mentioned Assassin's Creed mm-hmm. as big one, and I love the style of Assassin's Creed. I haven't played it, but I love the look of the characters in Assassin's Creed. I think that's one of the things that that marks it, you know, and brands it so much as the way the characters look in that. One I mentioned it earlier in the show, uh, the the Last Express. Mm-hmm. That game at the time, and that's quite an old game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played it on PC. <clears throat> at the time, the look of that game was so unique, mm-hmm. and we really enjoyed the gameplay. It's it's basically a murder mystery on a train, and it's a period mm, piece. Nice. And the way that they did the art was live action. Mm. They had live action actors act out the scenes, and then they rendered those into animations. Mm. And you can see that translated into the, the the gameplay very well. Right. I mean, it's just very distinct. And we even emailed the game makers and we were like, when's number two coming out? Right. <laughs> and they said, there's no way we can make a number two. It was so expensive to make oh. that there's no way we can make a second one. It was really, it was really sad because you could tell it was an innovative piece at the time. Right. Right. Well, and there's something there, you know, I, there's something to be said. That was another part of the question that I included with Facebook, with the Facebook poll was, you know, can games be considered art? Because there is sadly this still, I mean, it's still a new medium, but clearly we're seeing emphasis placed on the visual specter of of, of games now in a way that, that might not have been. Well, you can tell by the way that they're presented at, mm-hmm. at things like E3. Absolutely. I mean, that's, really. that's a you know, visual candy land. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And that, that's how that, you know, marketing has always been done. Mm-hmm. Even if we don't necessarily agree with how some of the games are marketed. <laughs> right, right. You know, or, you know, how beer is sold or. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the same way. Absolutely. It's the same argument. <laughs> well, if anybody else would like to chime in on our conversation about great art in games, We ask a new question every week on Twitter and Facebook, so don't miss that. But you can still reply at game underscore on underscore girl. You've been listening to Game on Girl. I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can Twitter at Row Room, that's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. Or you can read my tech blog at droolonthefrog.com. 
And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. Many, many thanks to Lynn Hogan for joining us for today's episode. We really appreciated having her come on the show and talk about her artwork and share with us some of the stories of what it's like to work in the game industry, something that we've been really curious about for a long time. So many thanks to her for joining us and more power to all the geek girls out there. That's That should be the theme for today. <laughs> Game on Girls available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. So go download us and, and listen to us. And we'd love if you could take the time and give us some ratings on iTunes. We would love your feedback there as well. Uh, links for, for iTunes and Stitcher, as long as other references in the show, including Lynn's artwork and her graphic novel, will be on our website at GameOnGirl.com. As Rhonda said, you can leave feedback on the website and through Twitter. This podcast is edited with Audacity, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks for listening, and until next time, game on. Thank you.